Welcome to Role Playing as Smart People, the podcast where we pretend to know what we're talking about when it comes to all things tabletop. And this is a little series I like to call One on One with Santa. Yeah. And joining me today, we got <laughs> we got Eric. Uh, we've been chatting a little bit, way too much, even before this podcast started. But uh, yeah, you could see him if you're on screen. Hello, Eric. Hello. Hey. Oh, that's right. There's a whole bunch of people watching me. Hello, everyone at home. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> At least listening. Hopefully. I know. I know listening. You'll definitely have a lot of listening. Um, so a lot on to- of listening. <laughs> so on today's episode, we are going to be talking about well, a game, of course. Uh, but this one is created by Eric. Would you like to talk a little bit about it before uh, we get into the nitty gritty? Sure. Yeah. So we're gonna we're talking about uh, my upcoming horror RPG, The Last Hand. Um, the Last Hand is a GMless, no prep uh, horror game for a single session of play. Uh, it kind of takes inspiration from play to lose horror RPGs like uh, Dread or Ten Candles or a recent favorite of mine, The Zone, was really popular recently on Kickstarter. Um, oh, yeah. But it's not play to lose. It's pl- I, I've been kind of using play to survive because you can survive but um due to the mechanics of the game which we'll get into later uh you do you you're kind of you you play off of each other in a way that is uh kind of a part of the horror genre that i wanted to emphasize it facilitates a combination of like warranted distrust where you're holding on to secrets uh but obligatory cooperation because if you don't work together you will just all die (laughs) Uh, So it really utilizes a lot of the aspects of horror that I like and the ways that my personal home group plays horror games, uh, while also uh, being completely GMless and no prep, so you don't need a GM to plan a horror story ahead of time or prep a monster or mystery or anything. Uh, The game helps you facilitate all of that uh, as you play, which is... It's what I need, because I, I don't have enough time as an adult to prep games anymore. <laughs> no, I um, definitely feel you on that one. Um, as someone who has my own little table, they're like, some of them are like, we want really long campaigns. And we're just like, yeah, sure. We could play three sessions and not be able to play for three months and forget what we're doing. Sure. <laughs> I, have a, I have a weekly Wednesday night RPG. That we've been meeting mo- almost every Wednesday. We skip on occasion because of emergencies and stuff. But we've been playing consistently for like f- six or seven years now. Oh, shit. And yeah. And so we go, we'll have one person run an extended campaign. So we get to do full-blown campaigns. Uh, and then after like 20 sessions or so, we stop, do a bunch of one-shots, figure out what we're going to do next. <laughs> so we... We burn through a lot of systems. We try a lot of stuff. Um, I am a game designer, so we play a lot of my stuff sometimes. Kind of makes sense on that one. Um, so a little bit about your game. Like I got a chance to look through, and um, I saw horror, and I was very excited because uh, I freaking love horror uh, so much. And also, then I saw the one thing I was curious about uh was the gmless aspect because a lot of i've seen it creep up a little bit more and more but me personally my experience is very little with uh gmless systems so how does the gmless system work within your game yeah no so i i we have played my group has played a, a quite a few gmless games a handful mm-hmm. and we bounce off of them i've bounced off of a lot of gmless games and had mediocre to bad times with them (laughs) but some but sometimes once you get the ball rolling you can it's a lot of fun you just need to get that ball rolling um what i wanted to do to make a gmless game that uh doesn't have as hard of a barrier Mm -hmm. this is sort of gmless in the sense that there is no one dedicated narrator who preps everything each scene there is the dealer which is yep. the keyword for our GM. Um, and the dealer introduces the trouble to the scene. The trouble is uh, uh, the initial instigating 
bad thing that yeah. starts the scene. Uh, and then they they add that trouble. The next couple of players add blinds. Oh, yeah. It emulates Texas Hold'em because I'm <laughs> cute and made a cute game. Um, it plays really well about that. But the next two players add blinds, which modify the trouble, add new variant factors to the scene. And then you start the GMless aspect. But the dealer is always kind of the one running the scene, making final decisions about the scene. So GMing is kind of passed around the table. Each scene, the dealer hands off the dealership to the next player. Um, so it's GMless in the sense that there is no one dedicated GM. And you all share narrative responsibility because it is zero prep. You're all required to try to make it a cool compelling story that you're all excited about yeah but there is there is some sense of each scene has somebody that can go no we're done with this scene let's move on because i found that in in at my table we're very experienced at at, at playing games we've played a lot of gmless games and having one person who feels comfortable just saying okay this is getting silly or this is kind of just spin wheeling and there's nothing happening anymore let's just move on Um, that helps move the story along it makes players who aren't familiar with gmless games a little bit more comfortable with a gmless game Mm -hmm. because it's a more more similar to the gm'd traditional tabletop rpg experience where one person just gets to make those calls it's almost like a gm shared kind of system right Right, right. You share GMing responsibilities, and there is always one person who kind of has that authority, just yeah. just to make sure that somebody can say, okay, let, let's call it, or, oh, this is kind of, uh, there's nothing happening, let's add an element into the scene to make sure something keeps happening, but mm. it is shared around the table. It's a great way to introduce new people players who aren't necessarily gms or don't have a lot of experience in gming yeah. to that role without giving them a whole campaign they have to write and, run <laughs> and organize. It's a great introduction to you have a little bit of power and responsibility but it's not yeah. a lot and other people also share responsibility yeah so you, you only gotta do that little bit right here you don't have to do the whole thing just a little bit exactly exactly <laughs> That takes a lot of the weight off your shoulders. Yeah, I I could definitely see that. Now, you kind of spoke of the mechanics, and this is where I thought the game was really unique. For one, you use cards, and I freaking love cards. I don't care if people say it's a gimmick or if it's a, as you, what did you call it? Cute? Cute? It's cute. It is, it is, it started out as not a gimmick, and then it became a gimmick. And now that I've (laughs) finished writing it, and I'm very, I'm very proud of this game. I think it is a really good game. It'll yeah. be a little bit genuine here. It is good. I'm very proud of it. I put a lot of work into it, and I have a lot of friends who have put a lot of work into it. And it is a, uh, a, a project that I care about deeply. Mm-hmm. The card mechanic very much goes out of its way to emulate the game of Texas Hold'em, the poker game of Texas Hold'em. Yeah. Um, and that is why the default setting is Wild West, because I didn't even have a default setting at first. And then I went, I should make a default setting. We're playing <laughs> poker. All right, let's do the sense. Wild West. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the, the, the game is a bit gimmicky, but not gimmicky in a way that gets in the way. It facilitates the story really well. I, I don't honestly, like everyone, like I think gimmick gimmick has like, a bad term <laughs> to it, but I don't yeah. think so because, like, at some point, our dice were the gimmick of like war games that turn into tabletop. Right? There's like gimmicks are just like little fun things that give the game personality. And I, I, when I was looking and reading through your game, I, I wasn't thinking, "Oh, this seems like a gimmick system." Just trying to play off that, you had the you had a theme built down which also played to the cards and it all felt a really kind of organic in it. Um, so well, thank you. Oh, no problem. No problem. I, 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 I love creativity. So your game was just like, I can see where this creativity, creativity is coming <laughs> from. Um, so you were mentioning before where it does, how it kind of emulates, uh, 
was it Texas Hold'em, right? Yeah. Texas Hold'em. I was, for some reason, my brain was just like card game. I was about to say blackjack. I'm like, no, it's not blackjack. I know it's not blackjack. Um, but um, you were mentioning how there was, was it, uh, there was blinds and you're, you're playing as a dealer. How does that really react with the game? Yeah. So the way that the structure of the game here, let me pull up my copy and okay. read out of the book the structure <laughs> of the game this is the easiest way to do it uh is you you start with the the dealer the dealer is mm. our gm great fantastic the dealer has a dealer chip you pass the dealership between players as the dealer changes hands um each scene follows a structure of a hand of poker sort of so you introduce uh trouble which is sort of like the initial ante or the the initial bet um and then the way that then the next player to the dealer adds a blind in poker a blind is that initial bet so the dealer will deal and then the two next players have to do the large blind and the the small blind to make sure there is an initial pot for the hand so i used that and so what happens is the dealer adds the trouble. We have a table of example troubles to start the game off. Um, but so an example from the table is uh, the uh, hoofbeats are thundering towards the safe house, right? So the scene is set. There are hoofbeats. They're thundering mm-hmm. towards the safe house. And then the player next to them would add a blind. A, the, a blind would just be something that adds another detail, modifies the trouble, changes the scene in a way, just twists it and adds a little bit more, uh, a little more je ne sais quoi to the scene. <laughs> um, a blind for hoofbeats are thundering towards the safe house, looking at my table here, is the source cannot be seen through the dust. Um, this is This trouble actually is taken directly from a playtest of mine where the initial trouble was hoofbeats and then we went well there's a dust storm outside and then the next person said the hoofbeats are deafening and so you modify that initial trouble to now be a little bit different a little bit weirder and now three people have their hands in the in the narrative Mm -hmm. three people have touched this scene already and we haven't even started playing so once you've got the blinds, you deal out a hand. The game is played with poker cards, just a, a traditional deck of cards. Plus, jokers are included because we don't have to follow casino rules <laughs> and jokers are a cool mechanic to use. Um, you deal hands out, everybody gets dealt two cards every turn. Your cards stay in your hand between turns, so you yeah. can save cards. That comes up in the... Maybe I don't help my friends right now because I need to not lose later. Um, (laughs) But you do get dealt two cards every round. uh, And then the dealer does the flop in both Texas Hold'em and the last hand, the flop. Mm -hmm. The dealer reveals three cards from the deck. Those three cards are sort of a... The cards have meaning. The, The behind the by the suit and the the number or value uh and they kind of mechanically represent the narrative in a way okay so it usually the like the higher the value of the card the more difficult it is to overcome the trouble um the way you engage with those cards is by playing cards from your hand which kind of breaks down the poker analogy but uh once you've played the flop out in front of you then the Oh, let me get back to my spot <laughs> on the page. Then the uh, then people play cards, and when you play cards on the the flop in front of you, you are narrating your players. That's when the scene actually starts. You're narrating the characters that you've made, yeah, overcoming or interacting with the trouble. Just because you like, you don't have to play a card to do things, but if you are resolving trouble that has occurred, so in this case, if you're dealing with the problem that there are hoofbeats thundering towards the safe house, um, you have to play cards 
over the cards in the flop. So the flop hits the community cards, the pool in front of everybody. Yeah. And you have to play cards that are a higher value than those in order to beat them. So if you don't, if the, if the lineup of the community cards has a 10 and nobody has any face cards in their hands, you can combine two cards of the same suit to overcome it that way. But that yeah. takes two cards. You can talk to one another and try to share cards, um, but you can't talk about the value of your card. You can talk about the suit. You can say, I've got a club here, or uh, the suits actually mean something. So the clubs represent violent force or vigor. Yeah. Um, it's physical force <clears throat> with or without tools. You're, you're hitting something. Spades represent ingenuity, utility, problem solving. Uh, you're tinkering with something. You're maneuvering around it. Uh, it's like your dexterity yeah. check, I guess. Um, hearts represents kindness, humanity, empathy, talking to people, working with people, working with animals. Uh, and diamonds represent stuff, money, assets, tools, having things. So <laughs> you can say, I have stuff, but I can't. If you, Santa... Yeah. have a diamonds also you can say oh i got stuff too we got to deal with this t 10 on the table let's i have a little bit of stuff and you have a big amount of stuff we put them down we don't know if we're actually going to overcome that 10 oh. so you 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 can kind of work together you need to work together yeah because any tr any of those cards that aren't actually resolved uh, will carry over into subsequent scenes and will eventually build up and build up and build up and become overwhelming. That sounds really cool. You, you like, can you like straight up like trade cards or is it just, uh, you can, no, you can't just trade oh, okay. cards because, and we'll, I, I, I think we can talk about the end of the game later. Uh, but you do want to hold on to your cards because you oh, okay. want to, you want to make sure you have, a good hand at the end during the last hand ha, yeah. <laughs> ha, the name of the game that's very you clever make sure you i like have, that. that's clever uh, God, yeah i'm i'm a real good writer <laughs> um, it's it's a real shame that the first game that i'm kickstarting in february of 2023 uh is just very gritty dark broody and plays it straight and not even wacky a little bit. It is genuinely a shame. Are you? Are you? I. Are you a wacky player? Are you the like? Are you the like Gonzo type character? Like my my friends, my table often says that my campaigns when I run an RPG, it is very campy. It is very much a like let's go on a pulpy campy adventures. Like I <laughs> <laughs> I love like pulpy campy wild superhero-y just yeah. fun stuff uh but i wrote the last hand and it's very good and yeah. i'm very proud of it and it's on it's tragically gritty and very <laughs> broody well i i, I think it takes because i i'm we mentioned this earlier when it was just me and you with before the cameras and all that how we have some similarities and I think we have a bit of similarities with this thing because I will say I like the campy, the dumb, the funny, the jokey kind of stuff. I love that kind of stuff to death, but as a GM, I've only ran the dark and gritty. <laughs> like it's, it's really appealing. It, it's so, and it's so fun because although like I, I think part of it is, and I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but I think it's because this way you can, it's more fun to watch everyone squirm. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I don't even have that. I just like, I something about like, I really like horror movies. I really All like right. the horror genre. I really enjoy it a lot. I like the tension that it builds mm -hmm. and I like the uncertainty. One of the things in the last hand is like the, it there is a monster stalking you perpetually yeah. and you don't know about it you don't know anything about it and i really like that i really like not knowing and so i like 
watching i like facilitating games where my players don't know what's coming up and start speculating i love when players start speculating because then me as a gm i can think yeah that's a better idea than what i wrote down (laughs) yeah absolutely i I, that's key i think everyone should always try and figure out find people i've i actively encourage speculation too um one 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 uh, one little question I had because you you mentioned that you like the suspense and all that. So what kind of um, movies, like horror movies and all that, did you actually use to inspire you for writing this um, this set? Oh, the system. All right, Santa. All right. I'm gonna start with some movies that I have watched since writing this game and think this game does a really good job of uh, of creating that kind of story. Uh, Apostle is a really good folk horror movie. Uh, it it's it's like the ritual, really good horror movie. Yeah. Um, it from Stephen King, of very course. good horror movie. Monster movies is really what this game facilitates. Things where you're introduced to there is some sort of creature, something that you know yeah. exists, and then over the course of the film, you find out more and more about it. Mm-hmm. I watched the film bird box and wrote this game immediately afterwards and i'm not proud of that fact bird box is a fine movie it's a it's a it's it's a good movie i don't think you could say it's a great movie but it's It's, a fun yeah it's not exceptional but it is it is enjoyable i enjoyed it it was in the middle it was a period of quarantining where i was just missing larping because i i play in a monthly i i help run and write for a monthly horror larp called dystopia rising you should look up your local dystopia rising chapter and uh look to go there it's a great time you should try larp um but i missed larping a lot in quarantine and i watched bird box and i just went man i miss cowering in the woods while something (laughs) is trying to kill me and I really liked how Bird Box had a monster that yeah. you couldn't see, you didn't know anything about it, and anybody who saw it killed themselves or joined it. Oh, I thought that that yeah. was a really compelling couple of traits, and I, like, within a week and a half, wrote the first draft of The Last Hand after mm. watching that movie. And it's it's kind of, it's come a ways from there but that's still where it is is there is it is out there is the the phrase i use a lot and the name of the (laughs) the setting expansion the add-on that's going to be in the um a kickstarter is a a bunch of additional settings outside of the wild west but it is out there is the thing we say because it is a monster and it we don't know what it is (laughs) but it's there and it's it does nasty stuff. So, out, out of curiosity, just because this is probably one of my favorite horror movies of all time, have you seen Terrorizer? Terrorizer? I haven't. I'm going to Google it real quick. You, the second one came out actually, I think in October. I haven't seen it yet. It looks weird, but trust me when I say it is fantastic. I think you'll like it. It looks like a B movie, but trust me. It is terrorizers. Way... Oh, that's is it. Terrorizers? No, that's not in English. Oh wait, I'm... terrifier. Terrifier. That's it. Why am I? I I'm I'm okay. A little bit. Oh out god. Of... Oh no. With the it's clown. It's a clown. Yeah. A little bit of backstory. Oh, no. right uh, I have just gone from working overnights to days, so my mental capacity is shot. Oh, no. I'm just letting I'm you so know. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's okay. I'm getting used to it. Um, it's the it's the evening time now, so I'm actually somewhat awake. <laughs> yeah. No, this is you, great. I want to watch this. I want to yeah. watch Terrifier because I, I had – I found out through LARP at Dystopia Rising, which you should go look up your local chapter. I found <laughs> out that I have a – uh, a clown phobia and had a panic oh. attack when a clown NPC tried to kill me at three in the morning. So I found out that I have a clown phobia, <laughs> uh, but I want to. Wa- I like I like watching clown horror movies because it kind of like 
it gets the juices flowing way more than a regular yeah. horror movie. You know when you have those real anxiety attacks. Yeah, tr- trust me when I say um, this one will definitely. Uh, it, it's a little it does, twisted. It does it, look like a B movie. It looks like a B movie, but trust me, it is sometimes really chill- chilling and really disturbing. <laughs> All right. Um, Where can I stream this? I think it's on Prime. Prime. All right. Added to my. Uh, added it to my list. <laughs> See, this is what you got to do. I'm not gonna lie. When you, uh, when you talk about yours, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to make a note and I'm gonna have to write that down when I'm re- editing this because I think oh, I've yeah. seen The Omen. You mentioned that one, right? Uh. Or. I didn't mention that, but it's kind of oh uh, yeah, Apostle is really good. Apostle. I've got a list somewhere of maybe I can find it. I have a list of movies that it kind of is a oh, can that's play. But any any of those horror movies where uh, there is a a greater force that you don't know what it is. A lot of it's a very common in like folk horror mm-hmm. also, um, but yeah. The I think I've seen the Omen, um, and oh, honestly, okay. this is one of the things I'm interested about because I've played this game uh, a bit, quite a bit, a few yeah. times. You gotta say. test we've it out a few times. It. We've played tested it, um, but we've only play tested it. Going there is a monster of some kind, mm-hmm. uh, and I one of the one of my one of my contributors in the setting expansion is doing something. Their setting is going to be. Uh, like a dungeon, like a yep. traditional fantasy dungeon, where something is invading your dungeon, right? Ooh. Maybe you're a kobold or a goblin or people, and something is invading your dungeon. And I like that vibe. I'm interested to see other ways you could do this. Maybe it, maybe the thing that we're worried about mm-hmm. is some, just some, like a, a, a neighbor. Maybe your new neighbors that just moved in next door are it. Oh, and I you're could, just learning about it. That would be interesting. You, I feel like there's a lot. Uh, the game facilitates the ability to tell unique, novel, well-crafted horror stories very well. And I feel like outside of generic horror stories where yeah. ah, there's a monster run away from it, there is there is a lot there that you can explore with this system. So almost do like uh, to mention just a video game, but almost to kind of do like a hello neighbor type style thing. Right. Hello neighbor. Or um, yeah, just some sort of like very clandestine kind of like grounded thing. Um, <laughs> you could probably do a uh, uh, like, like not, not specifically, but like, uh, yeah, you could do a movie where that's just folks, right? Mm. It's just folks some people yeah like the the new folks in town or uh maybe or maybe the, you're the uh, new you folks moved in town. or you're the new folks in town yeah. maybe you just moved into a new town and this town's a bit off maybe yeah. like midsummer you just went on vacation to sweden and these folks are <laughs> weird yeah um there's a lot there right the the arc that the last hand tells and i can we could get into that a bit more right now about how we define it yeah but the arc that it tells is very applicable to horror movies because the idea of you introduce the thing that is unsettling about the monster or the cult or the people or the neighbors or uh your your significant other's family You introduce that factor, and then you, over the course of the film, are introduced to more and more, oh no, oh no, this is way (laughs) worse. And that's that's the bulk of where the horror is generated from in The Last Hand. Oh, that that sounds really cool. So, um, there's not too many card RPGs out there. Uh, Did you have trouble trying to find inspiration from other games like towards the mechanics because the mechanics themselves there's not too many that do what you do so you almost had to come up with new ones how, how did you yeah the go ahead. the card aspect is there is i don't think i found anything that i was 
trying to emulate mm-hmm. um, or, or was really drew inspiration from when what I was trying to do was to do something similar to what dread if you're familiar with dread mm-hmm. the Jenga tower yeah it slowly builds up tension over time because you're pulling out pieces so I was trying to emulate a similar tension building mm-hmm. tension release tension building aspect and that that wasn't specific to the cards the cards definitely came from just a, a like eureka moment where i went what if i took two of the same number and put it over a smaller number <laughs> wow like it, it was not yeah it wasn't it was just a, like out of nowhere this is a cool mechanic i think playing cards on top of other cards is interesting um and you see a lot of a lot of indie rpgs that use playing cards just assign narrative value to a suit yeah. and move forward um, I also, in addition to the narrative value of the suit, we and and the number gets bigger, uh, it makes it scarier. I also say that jacks, if they're introduced, are trouble from an outsider. Somebody mm-hmm. that isn't in the crew is bringing your trouble. Queens are trouble from the inside. Um, something or someone that's already there. Maybe your backstory comes up and uh and gets introduced to the situation and kings are it the monster shows up if a king is the trouble um and then i also introduced jokers which is the absolute worst possible thing that could happen every time a joker hits it's a bad time it's sort of just a in the deck is this time bomb that if it shows up just is a catastrophe causes all (laughs) sorts of more problems um so other than that i mean the 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 cards i don't know if i really had a mechanical inspiration other than the we play my group has played a lot of dread dread is our (laughs) go-to horror horror game and my friend matthew is very good at jenga so Um. we never had the tower just doesn't fall so we've we've played a four-hour session where the jenga tower of dread doesn't collapse what no right so and like the gm just making us pull blocks over and over and we're just going we're it like humble brag we're almost too good at jenga to play dread (laughs) so uh so so which is which is a problem because like dread it's very it is a big high tension moment to pull a a block like it does that really well i love that about that game but um the release is huge and the tension is huge yeah it doesn't do a a smaller ebb and flow the way i like and i also 10 candles is a big inspiration a big play to lose inspiration um and the tension from that our experience, uh, my my experience with ten candles was, oh no, a candle went out. <laughs> All right, that's stressful. And then, and then, they were going out because they were running out of wax. And then immediately the next candle goes out. And then immediately the next candle, and then, like the tension just, like it, it was really narratively it was really cool because it like spiked out yeah. of nowhere. It became a catastrophe. But the pacing on dread and and ten candles is almost out of your control mm-hmm. i like i really like loosey-goosey vibe heavy indie rpgs yeah. big fan i wouldn't be here if i wasn't into that but i also like a little bit of mechanics that i can like engage with mm-hmm. and grasp onto like i want to be able to like make a mechanical game decision and with the the last hand you you are engaging with numbers and you have the cards and you're making a decision about you're engaging with the mechanics just a little bit a little just enough to bite your teeth into um enough rules that you like engage that kind of rules part of your brain while telling the story because you're you're like looking for cards and you need to work together to get the right cards got these cats climbing all over me don't worry i'll I'll, Um, I'll show you i'll show you one of my cats afterwards (laughs) <laughs> they actually right. look very similar. Um, oh, good. Yeah. yeah, and uh what was I saying? Yeah, so so that 
tension building is the mechanic that I think I was most inspired by um, with I the way that you like trouble comes down in a flop yeah you have three cards and sometimes those cards are kings or queens or aces and you just don't have the cards in your hands no players have the cards in their hands to deal with that and everybody can look around and go we can't deal with that problem right now next scene you like you you play through the scene characters make decisions you go places you role play but you can't mechanically stop the problem it's not um it's not the like skill test like dread is or the the weighted out don't breathe too heavy like 10 candles the mechanics of the cards actually build up a problem you can't resolve and you need to deal that that narratively the the trouble that that card represents is following you into the next scene and the next scene and the next scene yeah and that is a story building element that is that is um ever present omnipresent mm-hmm. not gonna settle on any of those words um and and the mechanics and the cards you once you draw enough cards because every turn you're dealt two more cards yeah. once you draw enough cards Eventually, you'll get the cards to deal with all of this trouble. All these cards that are down on the community from the flop, mm-hmm. from the turn and the river, more Texas Hold'em yeah. stuff. Um, as more cards get added to the community cards, and you, the more cards you draw, you'll eventually have a turn every game I've played. You have a turn or two where, okay, I have a card to deal with this now. I have I beat the crap out of that thing that's been chasing it. <laughs> I have the lock the the lock pick to finally open up that box or whatever. Like narratively, you can now accomplish all of the tasks that have been following you this whole time because mechanically you just haven't been able to deal with it. And that is the release of pressure. And then it builds up again. And then yeah. there's more cards you can't deal with, and you cycle through the deck. And that that that's. The I guess the problem I was trying to solve, or no. I guess the the thing I was trying to emulate. No, that to be honest, like when I've seen the jank, when I've seen you know dread ten candles and all, I I kind of I haven't gotten a chance to play play them, but from reading it, I kind of what you're saying kind of almost solidifies what I was sort of thinking about that. And one thing I I'm not too sure. I'm going to ask you a question first, and then I'll be able to get my answer but have you ever had a situation where uh one of the players all of a sudden regrets using x card turns before when it would have been perfect for this one? Oh yeah all the time and that's great that's a iconic horror movie moment right oh, yeah. is you go oh no i don't have anything to deal with this right now i shot the one bullet i had left in my gun to deal with that zombie back net there and now this crisis is way worse. <laughs> and I, I, I thought that's what it was. And I am so glad you said that because not only do the cards now build like their own narrative as you're going and keep it mechanical, but it also creates regret in people. Regret. And I don't. Yeah. yeah I, it, go ahead. Oh, I hadn't thought about that before. <laughs> you're, I think you're right. I think that's another thing to add to my list of things to say during interviews that I have up on my screen. <laughs> But regret is a thing that it it does it does it adds that moment of regret where you go oh I used a I used that card already I don't have a way to deal with this. Um, one of the things you can do if you, if there's cards like it's borderline it, like the likelihood you deal with an ace yeah. if it, an ace ends up in the trouble the only way you can deal with that is a joker which is a bad time. Everybody <laughs> has to add cards from their hand to be new trouble. You don't want to play a Joker unless you have to. Or you fold. You can discard all of your cards from your hand, and your character becomes uh, like indefinitely, permanently scarred, maimed, or, or traumatized, mm-hmm. mental or physical. They, they experience, they suffer harm from that. Yeah. Um, and they carry that with them the rest of the story. You can't die in the last hand. Your characters can't die in the last hand until the final scene, till the yeah. last hand. Oh, of course. Uh, 
of course, but <laughs> you can become you can become permanently injured. The scene in the in the movie where some like the guy gets bit by the zombie. Yeah. You're now you have dealt with the problem. You have cleared the zombie horde, but you come back with a bite or whatever. Um, so you can fold to clear an ace, and that's a bad time. But yeah, you're right. It built. It has that that moment of regret where sometimes you need the right thing. Yeah. No, that <clears throat> that sounds really fun. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna definitely try this game out with my group. Uh, yeah, you sh- you should. It's yeah. it is. Let me know how it goes. I, I, I definitely uh, will. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely keep you on the track with that. Uh, just because, well, as I stated before, I love horror and I love um, seeing what my players will do to try and get out of a situation. I'll have a, st- yeah. I have a story for you that I'll tell you a little later. Um, okay, uh, good. that's a horror good. game. I think you'll really like it. Um, so it sounds. It sounds like you like the system itself sounds really cool, but is there anything specifically within this game that you are just like really proud of and want to highlight even more? Oh, I really do. I'm so glad you asked that, Santa. <laughs> I uh so so the biggest thing horror one of the biggest things in horror that you can emulate in tabletop rpgs because people this has been talked about a lot there's no reason to reiterate it you can't do really do jump scares in tabletop rpgs it's lazy and weird with you to be at a table with your friends and go ha yeah um you can't really do jump scares um you can kind of do body horror by talking at them but you can't do that like visceral imagery that Mm -hmm. is on a screen what you can do really well is you can do the horror of the unknown, which is what the whole game's built around. Yeah. Um, and I was really inspired by 10 candles. I, again, I will go into how good these games I was inspired <laughs> by are. Um, but 10 candles, it has a, a mechanic where at the end of every scene or at the beginning of every scene, every player adds a truth to this, to the story. Yeah. Um, and that adding of truths, in my experience with Ten Candles, was the most compelling part of that game. Because every player putting a little bit of themselves into the story is very engaging for players, one. Two is, it, it's a like a way to add things that you weren't expecting, which yep. adds to the, the like, the uncertainty of, of every moment of the story. And, uh, my example from 10 candles is I, my character I was playing was a, uh, single mother, 10 candles. It's the apocalypse. The lights go out. There's no sun anymore. And there's monsters outside. Right. And my whole thing is I had a little baby with me and the baby was crying and getting attention and getting the monsters. And my character, that was, that was my character's drive was to protect her child and one scene my friend made the truth there is no more crying and i hold on to that moment of tabletop rpg (laughs) as like peak storytelling and so in the last hand i tell i tell the story because in the last hand i utilize the truth mechanic in a Every scene, the dealer adds a detail to it, to the monster. Um, So at the beginning, all we know is that it is out there. Whatever it is, it exists. It is there. It is bad. It is hunting you. Um, And then each scene, you add a detail to it. Um, I have a table in the back of the book. Like, I have a physical copy of the book. In the back of the book... uh, that you can't see well at all. If you uh, but if looks... you pull it out quickly, like sorry, slowly. So put it closer to the camera, and then just go back slightly, and stop right there. See, oh, okay. it was perfect for a sec. Oh, it's, okay. it's there. All right. Well, it's really. <laughs> it looks really good. The book. I my. This is a test print of an old edition, but the look. The book looks really great. It looks great. It very. Pretty. What I'll do is if people look over to the right of their screen right now, there will be a picture with what you could see right on that page. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So on the back of the book, the back cover, I have a table of a couple of uh, things. I have some, 
uh, some a table of example details you can add to the monster. Uh, do you have D6 handy? A D6? I, I do, actually. Two, okay, roll me one D6. Four. Roll me another D6. Another four. Okay, so the detail that you would have added, if you rolled off the table, you can always make up your own. I encourage making up your own. But all of the settings in our setting expansion, with a bunch of settings in it, are going to have their own D66 table. And the book itself has a D66 table, so you can always roll. What you rolled was, it rots from within. Ooh. Ooh. That's cool. We don't know what that is. So so one of my favorite things about the ta- like adding details is like, it is deafening. That that doesn't tell us a lot about it. But if you combine it rots from within, it is deafening, it reeks of smoke, it has many legs. You start over the course of several scenes yeah. getting this image in your head of what it is. And maybe over the course of several scenes you start incorporating those things about it into the story. And I I really love that actually, because it creates this mystery that nobody really knows where it's going to come from. And like in horror movies, you're not unlike within a game where you have to be a little bit more descriptive. Usually if it's like a gym, this one you're discovering things as it goes and you can add details and what it can do. And that just sounds really freaking cool. And it, it democratizes the creative load. So mm-hmm. you don't have one person, one GM, one player who has to show up at the table. And they have written their story, come up with their mystery and their monster, and really hope that you don't ruin that. Yeah. Because <laughs> one of the hard parts about mysteries and horror games is that it's really easy to just jump, like, players to throw it all out the window. Oh. Um the, the one of the things I'm proudest of in the last hand, why I one of the things that that makes me constantly say that this is a good game and not just my game, I do think this is a good game. And what I'm really proud of is that it tells a very compelling and very like e- evocative and, and engaging horror story every mm-hmm. single time. I have not played maybe it's the players I play with. Maybe my friends are great. But I bet uh, I do have I uh, one of one of the contributors on the expansion is playtesting it with a different group this weekend. We're getting more playtests in, but m- my bet is that this game tells a compelling and evocative story every single time without prep, which and is great. Know, and I don't it, want to prep a game. Yeah, no, and it, it honestly does sound like from everything you're saying, from what I've looked at. It really does sound like that. And I've seen a few GMless games where after reading, I was like, oh, I'm not too sure. Like you really need to have the right people, but yours like, <laughs> and it's crazy because you didn't write it to be 200 pages long, but you can easily figure out how to do it in a short period of time and still have enough guidance to be able to create a, a story, even with people who've never done it before. I think that's a really good thing to do. Like, congrats like that's not easy to do kudos to you sir. thank you so much that no that my heart is very warm right now thank <laughs> you feels great nice um so you said your kickstarter is coming out what is it Fe- february 22nd you said february oh boy third 13th oh okay i'm way off february 13th what did i say let's I think, check i think february 13th have... yeah okay February, my, the, the press kit says February 13th. Nice. That's the plan, because my boss is out of town for the first couple of weeks of February, and I didn't need that extra stress while my boss is not in town, nice. and I have to do so much work at work. So and it's if I... February 13th through the uh, 20-somethingth, And see, if I, I read think. my notes, I would have also seen that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, my zine quest. It's my first zine quest. It's my first Kickstarter. It's my first crowdfunding anything. Um, everything. The base game is done. And by the time the Kickstarter launches, everything will be done. Ooh, the creative nice. and design and everything should be written, layout, done. 
everything will be done by the time the Kickstarter is live. Oh, nice. Um, I have, I have, my contributors have additional uh, settings that I'm getting as we speak. <laughs> my editor is reviewing those things and I am putting them into layout. We're getting great public domain art that I am making a little <laughs> bit spookier. I'm not an artist, but uh, I'm, I'm really delving into it for this. We're, we're doing good things. It, it will all be done. Well, so, so by the time the Kickstarter goes, I will have a finished game yeah. that all we have to do is send files to printers. And I'm giving myself a very healthy amount of time to make sure everything goes smoothly because yeah. I've never done it before. But I've run a lot of LARPs and I've run a lot of projects. <laughs> so I'm confident that my my deal with problems as they arise uh, ability will will come into play and we'll we'll get it all taken care of. No, that sounds amazing. Uh, what kind of backer tiers do you have for your project? Uh, or... Well, you can you can get it just the PDF. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be eight bucks. Just get the PDF. Twelve bucks, you get the book, and we'll mail it to you. It's gonna be the printed zine like this, but probably matte instead of gloss, and without all of the typos. <laughs> um, and then there's gonna be. Uh, apparently people like the option to buy two. So there's going to be a $19 level that you get two, And then there is the uh, $24 option, which lets you get the book and the PDF of the expanded settings. So expanded settings I've got right now. I wrote the Steel Aurora, which is like a spaceship. It's kind of drawing on... Alien, 2001 A Space Odyssey, um, kind of that, we're locked in space, and uh, whatever it is is going to, we're stuck in here with it. That's the energy of the, the setting. Um, I have a Victorian mansion being contributed by uh, a, a, a friend. I have my sister, who is a map maker and writer. Mm. She is writing me, she's writing a, like, crusades through crusade era yep Ooh. so yeah um yeah. there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of cool ideas uh i'm not sure all what is going to be done and ready by the time that this goes uh the past month or so has been uh a lot of a lot for a lot of my friends and a lot of my contributors so yeah. we're gonna see what all settles in by the time but there's gonna be at least like at least five settings in that and the main stretch goal is uh, right now. If we get five hundred bucks, we're printing the game, and everybody gets gets what they paid for. <laughs> if we get seven hundred fifty bucks, I'm printing the setting book too. So, if we if we make a little bit more money, then we get to have printed copies of the setting books, and that's going to be exciting because there's going to be a lot of pretty art from the public domain. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> a lot of cool, a lot of cool ideas that aren't mine. Uh, yeah. So I'm really proud of it, and we're gonna have a lot of cool stuff, and it's not, it's gonna be exciting. There's only one thing we haven't talked about yet, which is the last hand. Yes, that's right. You, the very last hand. Okay, so once all. You find out more about the monster. You know you've gone burned through some of your cards. What is the last hand? The time where I'm assuming this is where people can start dying. Right. So the last hand is the final scene of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, where there is presumably some... There are some community cards still left out in, in the public that are unresolved trouble. If you have resolved every single card that has come up, if you've just dealt with everything, mm-hmm. then everybody's great. Everybody has a great time. Uh, everybody goes home and uh, lives happily ever after, despite the situation. But <laughs> most of the time, you're going to have a card or two still left there because you can't deal with everything. Um, and during the last hand, a everybody, instead of having a dealer who leads a scene, each person leads their own scene, and that scene is an epilogue for their character. Ooh. And... If there is any unresolved trouble at the end, and for every card left at the end, 
a character has to die. If one of those cards is a Joker, that character is becomes a follower of it, joins oh. it. However that looks for your story, um, if it is like a cult that worships it, then that might be the look. If it is like, if it is like infecting things as hosts and more like a biological horror, yeah. that might be it. But yeah, for a Joker, you become its follower. And for every unresolved trouble, a character dies in their epilogue. And the way you determine who dies in their epilogue is the sort of PvP aspect of the game. The reason that you are always looking over your shoulder through the whole story mm -hmm. uh, is whoever has the best poker hand at the end of the game survives. And you work down to the bottom. So say you have five players and there's two cards left. The top three poker hands survive, and the bottom two poker hands—they oh. are—they—they have those characters have to die in their epilogue, um, and that includes the cards in your hand, whatever you've saved through the game, whatever you've not used. So if you were sitting there going, "I'm really smart. I'm gonna hold on to these t double twos that I've got. <laughs> I don't need to use those." Um, you've got a two pair. That's great, but it also includes. The, the the remaining community cards the unresolved trouble the cards that have not been dealt with contribute yeah. the same way the community cards would in a game of poker so if you uh, the game i will call back on is i had a four five six of hearts in my hand and the unresolved trouble trouble was uh seven eight nine or something like i had this huge run <laughs> Uh, of a of a uh what is it a straight yeah. uh st straight flush because they were the same suit and so i was like building towards this moment through the whole game and i went all right i don't need to use these cards and i'm going to we're gonna just we're gonna get there and so you can just sort of build a poker hand through the game mm -hmm. and in the final scene that means you don't die and if you carefully make it so that there are say four unresolved trouble and five players that means you're the sole survivor oh. so there is that sort of warranted distrust between players where you're you you need to work together so that there aren't five unresolved trouble cards and everyone dies but <laughs> you only need to get you out of there <laughs> i that that honestly that i i love that i absolutely love that and and the reason why is because even in horror movies there's always that distrust between people as it's like oh you know they run off on their own because you know they don't help that person and you've somehow through the power and magic of playing with a deck of cards has somehow been able to turn that into a literal mechanic that people will feel and sense throughout the whole entire game especially if they know yeah. if they've played it before they know it's coming so they'll automatically start trusting people less that is if i i'm, I'm just going to say this i think it sounds absolutely beautiful beautiful it's great thank you so much that, no that feels great i i appreciate that a lot i am very proud of it and i do think it's really good through play you're right though once you've played it a few times it starts getting a bit cutthroat if that's the energy of your group of friends uh because you are you're anticipating that yeah. and you're going all right i need to be the one who gets out alive we had one person who specifically held on to a joker until the last scene to use it right before the last hand so that there was a joker in the last and that they wouldn't be de dealing with it oh like we, we the, the mechanics, I'm very proud of the fact that the mechanics facilitate a, uh, a PvP element, a mm -hmm. semi-competitive, because it's more about telling a compelling story. It's always yeah. going to be, it's a storytelling game. It's about telling a compelling horror story. But my group of friends, the table that I've been playing RPGs with for the past seven years, always ends up with one or two players, even in our long, like, six, seven-month, year-long campaigns. Yeah. We'll always have one or two characters that kind of go off the deep end and become 
mildly antagonistic. If not, okay, we have to we have to execute you, and you need to roll up a new character because there's no reason for our player our characters to continue working. We always have that yeah. because our group of friends, our group of friends, we're comfortable having that antagonistic oh, yeah. uh, energy. We're comfortable with that. Some people aren't, and that's okay. And yeah. everybody who isn't, this game, you can just work together. You absolutely can just cooperate and try really hard to, to, to deal with everything that comes at you. That is allowed. But if you want to make sure that you're not dead, <laughs> and if you kind of, like, it, I wrote this after uh, watching Bird Box, where it's a group of people holed up in a building, and nobody trusts each other. Mm. The Walking Dead is a great example of a show that I watched one season of, but I bet has a lot of characters that are like not necessarily friends, but need to work together because they're zombies. Yeah. Uh, and maybe backstab each other. And this game mechanically reinforces that through the through the the, the way the cards are dealt. Yeah. yeah, what is it? When you're talking about um, you know, like what the Joker does. I immediately, one part of my mind went to a single movie. I'm trying to remember the name of it. What was that one? It had Katie Holmes in it in a big house with all those little tooth fairy things that eat bones. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Oh, oh. And you know how she she ends up dying at the end after it seems like everything is done. And then all of a sudden they start pulling her Don't be afraid of the dark. Yes, and then she gets her legs bent backwards. Uh, and gets pulled into the furnace and I was just thinking I was like and then you hear her voice at the end of it I was like that is totally what would happen that is I yeah. I that I I, yeah, I have a feeling my audience is sick of me saying this but because I do it so often but it honestly sounds so awesome and amazing I feel like I could play around with this so much and have a lot of fun and be a player not just a GM <laughs> right you can, you, everybody everybody jams a little bit yeah. and like you can write your own setting document for this very easily mm-hmm. um so you can create your own little packet of tables and a little bit of write-up and then put it on itch and go hey i made this this little this setting document to tell a specific story uh, you can you can play it with the last hand it's right here it's like the template i was using for my contributors is like 1400 words or something. Uh, it's not a lot and it's mostly tables and you can just write up little, uh, write up your table of things about it. And you can tell your, you, you can basically create a little packet for your own story. It's very hackable. It's very, it can tell almost any type of story. If all the players show up and go, Hey, this is the energy we want to bring to this table. That, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to try this with my table. I'm not, this is not me just trying to sugarcoat and be like, Oh, you know, you know, for you, I, I literally, I, I am going to run this game for, well, all right. I'll be sure to send you the most recent PDF as I, as I get updates, there's no big mechanical changes, but there are grammar changes. (laughs) There are spell check has been done two or three times. Grammarly. It's your best friend, man. It's Grammarly. Grammarly doesn't work in Affinity Publisher. I do. Oh. I today I transcribed it into a text-only document, and uh, my my plain text document uh, caught some stuff because Grammarly oh. works in Google Docs. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. No. I, honestly, uh, I am actually very excited for this project. Uh, one final little question: um, If anyone wants to check out even more stuff, just learn a little bit more about the game. Where can they go to find any additional information? Yeah, so you can catch The Last Hand on Kickstarter. The pre-launch page is up. You can follow it on Kickstarter. Hit the Notify Me on Launch button there. Uh, Just look The Last Hand on Kickstarter, or you can go to airborneham.games, which is my my publishing company that I own. Um, My website has links to the Kickstarter there. You can also go to my itch page, uh, airborneham.itch.io. Uh, there is a last hand page there that has more like teaser images, a little bit of write-ups uh, about some of the details there, some of the stuff that uh, that you saw in the, uh, the press kit that I sent mm. you. Uh, a lot of that's just on that itch page so that anybody can see it because it's just good information. So 
otherwise, you can follow me on Twitter, which I'm not on often, but I'm at Airborne Ham on Twitter. <laughs> I'm at Airborne Ham on Tumblr, which is where I'm writing up like long form blog posts about this because mm-hmm. I like being able to be wordy and verbose <laughs> um, and put more pictures in. So uh, Airborne Ham is the business and the name and where you can find me online uh, and you can always track me down and and you can send me a message and we can talk about it. Well, sounds good. Well, thank you very much, Eric, for joining me. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it and uh, you've made a background of me. All right. Well, thanks for having me so much. This has been great. All right, people. And yeah, I hope everyone has a good time and we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh yeah, I can wave now. I forget. I keep on forgetting my camera. It's a video. <laughs> Another thing I was looking at is like the whole time I was like, my God, my eyes do not open. <laughs> <laughs>